interest anybody in a game of Clue? Have you played, have you played Clue before? This is the old school Clue. You can buy all sorts of Clue uh, versions these days. This was mine growing up. Uh, and we, we still have it at our house. It's, uh, you know, you run out of the little, uh, the little t- thing. I printed it, you can print them off the internet now. And I've, uh, literally gone to the trouble of printing those three on a page, cutting them, making sure that we've got, uh, got things together. So you can take notes. Uh, it was, it was one of my favorite games growing up, uh, our daughter's favorite game growing up. But actually, as I think about it, it's, I don't know, it's a little dark. Uh, uh, someone has been murdered. And it's the player's job to figure out who did it, where they did it, and how they did it, right? And I never, I guess I never thought how grisly a crime scene it would be if someone really had been killed in the dining room with a candlestick, right? I mean, yikes, right? Or, or in the kitchen with a wrench, of all things? I mean, come on, this is, uh, is kind of dark. But but the game didn't emphasize those gory details. Uh, instead, it's, it's all about strategy, right? And you're working meticulously room by room, finding proof, pursuing suspects until you hopefully are the first to narrow it down. And you open that folder in the middle, conf- marked confidential, of course, right? And you, uh, you pull that out and it contains the truth. Uh, my father was a master clue player. And I'm pretty sure he didn't like playing with me. He didn't let that be known. I'm just in reflecting. Uh, I mean, I would take wild guesses and uh, hope that I was right. Oh, it's got to be so and so. I, I was always Professor Plum. I'm not sure why, but I was. My brother was always Colonel Mustard, and I'm not sure why, but that's just where we settled in. And, ooh, Miss Scarlet. A little risque. I don't know. Probably, probably should have avoided her. But uh, uh, anyway, it was... Uh, uh, we, we, my, my dad would, would work through the process. He was organized and thoughtful. He would pick up on subtle clues, facial expressions. He'd strategize, and he almost always won. And more than once, I remember uh, thinking the thought, how'd you know that? He opens the thing up, and I have no clue, and he opens the thing up, and he's got all three, and you're going, well, we just barely started, and you've already got it figured out. In order to win a clue, you have to pay attention You have to ask the right questions, you have to follow the right leads, you have to take notes, take risks, be bold, and you also have to make good use of those secret passageways in the corners. I don't know if you've, uh, but but that's definitely part of it too, but uh, the game isn't over until the guilty party is named and uh, the the proof of where and how has has been presented. There's there's no giving up, there's no quitting, Uh, it's, it's quite a pursuit even if it's on the uh, the game board and you're moving six squares at a time, I uh, I can still get into a good game of Clue and in, enjoy that enjoy the chase. And, and I know it's just a board game, but it, that also kind of reminds me of the of the, the 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 bold, aggressive, never giving up pursuit that we read about in three stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. Three stories, one big lesson, and the lesson is this. I'll give it to you right off the bat. God is always pursuing. God is always pursuing. We've been reminded in this series of of God's steadfast, faithful character. We can count on him because he doesn't change. And since he doesn't change, it'd probably be a good thing to get to know who he is a little bit, right? What, what is he like? If he's not going to change, we should, we should know what, what he's like. Uh, and, and, and we could, I think, 
probably continue this series maybe indefinitely as we discover all of the aspects and nuances of, of God and his character. But, but in these few weeks, I, I hope that you're getting a picture of, of who God is and what he's always doing in relation to you. He, he loves you. He's focused on you. He's, he's always speaking, guiding and directing your life. He's always hearing, listening to you and inviting you to pray. He, he's always seeing. He knows you and he cares about what's happening in your life. And today we see that God is always pursuing. He takes initiative in, your, in our relationship with him. So in Luke 15, Jesus told three stories. Uh, they're probably, I don't know, probably uh, you're, you're familiar with them. Maybe you don't uh, have it memorized or where they are, but as soon as I start talking about it, you'll go, oh yeah, I've, maybe I've, I've heard of three Three stories, uh, probably familiar, all about lost things, but maybe even more all about the pursuit of finding those lost things. Now, I've, I've read uh, that, that the average American spends the equivalent of two and a half days each year looking for things that we've lost. Some of you maybe did that this week, two and a half days just looking for what... Uh, they, they say that it costs $2.7 billion a year uh, uh, for Americans to replace the things that they've lost. Uh, of course, in this age of technology, it's, uh, it's easier uh, to not get lost or to not lose things. GPS guides our drive, and there's, there's apps on our phones that will, will help us locate things. There's maybe, uh, maybe you've got those, I forget what they're called, the little dots you can stick on things that you tend to lose, right? And then it like, gives off a signal, and you can follow that, you know? And it, I, I mean, we are becoming more like the Jetsons and, uh, and James Bond, I think, All, uh, you know, technology... We, we can we can find the thing. I was, I guess it's a couple of years ago now. I was mowing the lawn, and uh, and, and I found an iPhone in my yard. We're Android people. Uh, either one is fine. Android is right, but either one is fine. Just I don't really care. You can have your iPhone. That's great. But I found the iPhone. I knew it wasn't ours, right? And and it's out, kind of in the ditch out. With it. what in the world? And uh, it, we had to find a charger. Uh, got it charged up a little bit. I, I, there's this little feature on the iPhone because iPhone is so awesome compared to Android for sure, right? Now uh, you've got this little feature where you you pull it up and it says if this phone is lost, call this number. And they've got a number plugged in there to to call their other phone, right? And so I called that number and uh, got a hold of the people and. Apparently, they had, uh, they had gone to the lake, and they're pulling their boat, and they had set the phone down, while they're getting everything ready, they set the phone down on the bench seating in the boat, and, uh, and, and then they, uh, right across from our yard uh, is, a, is a, a neighborhood, the road comes up the hill, and then they whipped around the corner, pulled out of there, and I guess the phone slid off and slid into our, that's, that's basically what we could what we could put together well I, I called that number uh, from their phone uh, to to their other phone I guess they showed up uh, 20 minutes later and they got their phone back it was it was pretty crazy. now about a year late well no it's, yeah this this fall I guess I I found a folding table in our front yard and it it was kind of obvious that it was there right a uh, big white folding table you know, like you'd have at a picnic or something. And um, 
I'm thinking maybe the same thing happened. Left it there for, for a while. Don't have these people's number. Don't have their address uh, uh, because I called them from their phone in order to get. But, but I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe they were getting ready to go to the lake and they set the table in the boat and they pulled around the corner and it slid off and it's in my. And they, well, long story short, the church has a new table and it's in there in the closet um, because someone lost their table and uh, never came to claim it. So people lose a bunch of things uh, in a lot of different ways. And we can all tell stories probably from the last couple of weeks of things that you've lost. So, so Jesus is using, like he always does, he, he uses this, this situation, this context that, that is common to all of us. People lost things back then and we lose things now. And he tells these three stories in one chapter describing how we pursue or go after lost things. And he applied those stories to his relationship with people. Uh, we'll, we'll read in just a minute about a, a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. But before we do, I, I think it's important to, uh, to, to take that word lost and to, uh, to, to know uh, what, uh, what, what that word actually, uh, the, the, the connotation of that word is uh, in, the, in the, the original language is a little bit different than maybe what we think of when we think of, of lost. Um, it, it's actually a little stronger in the original language. It's not just that, uh, that, that this item can't be found and it's sitting passively somewhere. The, the word actually means that it is, quote, in a state of being ruined, utterly destroyed, totally decimated. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's a lot more aggressive, I think, than just this, uh, this oh, it's lost, but it's actually going to be worthless. It's, uh, it's broken, it's destroyed, it's, we, well, the same word that's used, translated differently uh, in, in English in John 3.16 of places for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish the word perish is the same root word as the word lost in Luke 15 uh, to, uh, to be wasted away uh, whoever believes in him shall not be lost uh, whoever believes in him shall not be uh, wasted away decimated but will have eternal life so I guess lost is a good word to describe those who don't have a relationship with Jesus the Bible actually refers elsewhere in Scripture to those who don't know Jesus as being hostile to God, Romans 8, 7, being separated from God and having no hope in Ephesians 2, 12, uh, being in a domain, domain of darkness, Colossians 1, 13. So, so we have to understand uh, what is being communicated when we say that God is pursuing the lost. He's chasing after, he's looking for, he's trying to find those who are perishing those who are wasting their lives away, those who are in a state of being ruined, decimated by the enemy, those who are broken, that is who God pursues. And that is exactly why Jesus told these parables in earshot of a bunch of religious leaders of that day. He, he was actually uh, blowing up their idea of what they thought about God. William Barclay uh, wrote these words, Years ago, no Pharisee had ever dreamed of a God like that. A great Jewish scholar has admitted that this is one of the absolutely new things which Jesus taught about God, that he actually searched for us. 
A Jew might have agreed that those who came crawling home to God in self-abasement and paid for, prayed for pity might find it, but he would never have conceived of a God who went out to search for sinners. But that is exactly how Jesus wanted to describe God to those religious leaders who were listening in as well as the sinners who were following him. And so he started telling some stories. Luke 15, beginning in verse 3. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And in the same way... I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's the first two stories that that Jesus told. The third one is is much longer and maybe much more common, the parable of the prodigal son, right? uh, We're not going to read that today, but but you get the picture here of the, the, uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. We look for things that we value when they are lost. And that's how God operates too. Just like a shepherd going after a lost sheep, God will go to the ends of the earth to pursue a soul in need of redemption. Just like a woman who has lost a day's paycheck, scours the whole house, God searches everywhere for souls in need of forgiveness. Just like a father who has been betrayed by a son, waits and longs for the day when that son will return, God looks a long way off looking for souls heading home. God is always pursuing. I'm sure I've said it before, um, so maybe it's not a new concept, but, but I don't think... I agree with the imagery of people. I, I mean, I get it, but uh, the, when they, when they talk about finding God in their lives, right? Uh, I, I found God. I mean, I, I I know what they mean, but God wasn't lost right? God was never lost. Uh, it's not that they found God. In my mind's eye, I, I get the picture of this crazy picture of someone looking through the house, uh, playing hide and seek with God, and they're, they're opening the closets, and they're looking behind the, 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 the couch and, and moving the couch cushions, and all the while you look over and you can see behind the curtains God's feet sticking out, you know, and he's hiding. Just a, a goofy, God is not lost. We are. He is pursuing us. Usually, usually sermons that, uh, that, that, that use Luke 15 as their text uh, emphasize evangelism. We should pursue the one instead of hanging out with the 99 who are already safe and sound. Uh, that, that message is, is good. It's quality. Uh, we should do that. Uh, and, and, we, and this text lends itself to, uh, to emphasize that. It's just not my main point today. Today... I want you to know that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, long before you knew it, God has been pursuing you. He initiates the relationship. He's always 
pursuing. I think we, we, we also tend to have this skewed view of, of what the lost even means. Maybe we think it's this dark mass of sinful heathen people out there somewhere and, and we're pursuing the lot. God is pursuing the Maybe we need that picture to change because from these parables, I don't see this big mass of whatever. I see it as very, very personal. God pursues the one who's lost. One sheep, one coin, one son at a time. God is always pursuing you because he loves you. The preacher uh, uh, from, what, 18-whatever, Charles Spurgeon, uh, preached a sermon called Many Kisses for Returning Sinners. His, his text for the entire sermon was based on three words at the end of Luke chapter 15, verse 20, where it says that the father kissed him, it says, and kissed him. He, he, he ran to his son, uh, grabbed him, embraced him, and kissed him. And, and Spurgeon, uh, he, he was a, a very well-known uh, preacher of the day, and he used those three words and crafted a sermon around that. And, and here is part of that sermon. He says, see the contrast. There is the son, scarcely daring to think of embracing his father, yet his father has scarcely seen him before he has fallen on his neck. The condescension of God toward penitent sinners is very great. He seems to stoop from his throne of glory to fall upon the neck of a repentant sinner. God on the neck of a sinner. What a wonderful picture. What a... What a wonderful picture. A picture of God not only running toward the wayward uh, and the lost, but embracing the wayward and the lost. You, you can't read any of these stories with, without uh, uh, the value of these, uh, those, that, those things that are lost uh, just jumping off the page, right? Uh, Dr. Craig Evans wrote, If I value something, when it is lost, I will seek it out diligently, and when it is found, I will rejoice. I mean, we lose things all the time. You might have lost something this morning already, right? Uh, we, uh, we, but we only take a lot of time and effort to go to look for the things that, that we value the most, right? I mean, a lot of things we even throw away on purpose. Oh, I'm, it's not really useful to me anymore. I don't value it anymore. I, I believe there are, there are precious few things that, that we value enough to drop everything and pursue until we find them. The, the clear teaching of Jesus in these three stories is that people, souls, are valuable to him. He loves you, so he is pursuing you. This is, this is why he went on the ultimate search and rescue mission, leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth. In his own words... He states the mission of his life in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. His, his pursuit took him to the cross and to the grave because he values you, because he loves you. This is the core of the good news of the gospel. This is why Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and died for you and me. Romans 5, 8, but, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't buy into the idea that you don't matter. 
that your life isn't worth anything. Any, any thoughts along those lines come straight from the pit of hell. We have an epidemic today of people who don't think they matter. They don't think that life is worth living. Uh, It it was a crisis before COVID and the isolation and separation of of all of that has just uh, made it even worse. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy telling you that your life is meaningless, that, that you don't have value. You matter to God. He created you and he is pursuing you because he loves you. Psalm 139, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. (laughs) They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. God loves you. He created you. And he's thinking about you. Isn't that crazy? God, the God of the universe, uh, has, has, has precious thoughts about you. More than you can even count. One way you can tell that he loves you is the extent to which he has gone to pursue you. In the 1890s, a uh, was introduced in a poem by a British poet, Francis Thompson. Francis Thompson led a life that was anything but reputable. Uh, and, and while he was, uh, it had led him to a place of being penniless and homeless, and uh, yet in that state he met the God who had been pursuing him. God found him and saved him, and, uh, and he wrote uh, a poem that he entitled, The Hound of Heaven. Thompson died at the age of 47 from tuberculosis, but, but, but that down-and-out poem uh, through, uh, poet through that poem had, had made such an impact that, that uh, the, the great statesman uh, and theologian G.K. Chesterton preached his funeral. And it is well known that, that uh, Francis Thompson and his writings uh, impacted the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Reverend Charles Spurgeon that we just quoted a few minutes ago was, was, was known to use that term, the hound of heaven, over and over, frequently in his sermons. The poem's too long for us to read today, but in reference to it, uh, a great summary by author John O'Connor he writes this. He says, the name is strange, referring to the hound of heaven, right? The name is strange. It startles one at first. It is so bold, so new, so fearless. It, it does not attract, rather the reverse. But when one reads the poem, this strangeness disappears. The meaning is understood. As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in the chase, with unhurried and unperturbed pace, So does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. And though in sin or in human love, away from God it seeks to hide itself, divine grace follows after, unwearyingly follows ever after, till the soul feels its pressure, forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. God the hound of heaven, continues to pursue each of us with an everlasting love. His pursuit is not to harm you, but to find you and to bring you home. So I'm, I don't know, maybe today you've been running or 
not going to give up pursuing. You probably should give up running because he's going to keep at it. He's the hound of heaven. <laughs> he's, he's seeking you so he can save you. Or, or maybe, maybe there's someone that you know who has been running. And you've been praying. And you're trying to reach them. And it's just not working. And it's been days or months or years. And you're ready to give up. It's just not going to happen. Let me assure you that God has not given up on them. He is the hound of heaven. He is always pursuing. 